0: Well, good morning and welcome, Calvary Quaker Town. I'm sure that it's the same there as it is here. People seated on the edge of their seats, waiting with excitement and enthusiasm, because we begin a new series today. Our series is called For Everyone, and you may have taken that as a joke, but if we could understand the power and the energy and the wonder in this book, that would actually be an understatement. I'm not sure you realize this. But the book of Romans is probably more than any other piece of human literature responsible for bringing more change and transformation into the world than any other. Lives are changed, and through those lives, communities and cities and towns and countries, this book is transformative. It's explosive in its ability to change things. So we're going to take a number of weeks, probably a couple of months up until Christmas, uh, believe it or not, kind of work our way through at least the first half of Romans and we're calling it for everyone as should become uh, pretty evident as we make our way through well since it's the first uh, part of the series we're gonna call this morning just getting started if you remember one of the questions that we asked in our top 10 series was well what's going on we have to kind of know what's going on in order for you to understand what's being said So this morning, if you like background stuff, this is your morning. If not, you can play on your phone, send text, do posts, take a nap, whatever you want. But we're going to kind of get started. But we're going to get started, first of all, by reading the first 17 verses of this explosive letter. So let me read it. You follow along, and then we'll kind of jump in and talk about why we're going to do it and how it's going to work. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle... And set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son. Who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. And who, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God. In power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship. To call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith. For his namesake and you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve in my spirit is preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you, In my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks both to the wise and the foolish that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew then to the Gentile for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. As we make our way through Romans, you're going to come across some vocabulary you may not understand. There are going to be some concepts that you may find it difficult to figure out. But if you hang in there, you're going to see there are twists and turns. There are starts and stops, kind of like the Everest exhibit at Disney World, right? You get on the thing and there are twists and turns. But if you hang on, just when you think it's over, then you go backwards through the whole thing again. But if we can make it through the turns and the speed and the twist and the stops and the starts, I'm convinced that our lives will be different, our church can be different, and our communities can be impacted in ways that we can't even imagine right now. Well, that kind of raises a question. Um, Why is this big book kind of in the Bible? Well, first of all, Technically, it's not a book. Technically, it's a letter. And just like all ancient letters, it follows the letter format. Here's the letter format. It's for, to, regarding. So if you look at those first few verses. From Paul, verse 7, to, all in Rome, regarding grace and peace. That's the gospel. Grace and peace. That's the summary statement of the gospel. So who's Romans from? Romans is from Paul to all those in Rome regarding the gospel. Isn't it funny how what's old is now new again? All ancient letters work like that. An ancient letter began by telling you who it was from. I like that. It's kind of like email today, right? That way you know if you have to open it or not. That way you know if you should delete it or not. So right up front, Paul says, hey, this is from Paul. If you don't want to read what I wrote, don't read. You know, in the old days, some some of you may remember writing letters by hand. Some of you still do that. You send me those. All right. The problem with writing letters by hand, you have to look all the way to the last page to understand if you're going to read it or not, right? The, the sender is written at the end, but not old letters, not email, right up front. From Paul to all of the believers in Rome regarding grace and peace. This is a grace deal, and it's about peace. Peace with God, peace with people, peace with ourselves. From Paul to the Romans Regarding the gospel. That's what it's about. It's a letter. It's a really long letter. In fact, it's the longest letter that Paul wrote. It's longer than 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and all the other short ones he wrote. And it's fairly complex, but it's worth hanging in there and seeing if we can make our way through as we hang on and try to stay in our seats. Well, you may be asked, well, why are we going to study Romans then? Why pick this long, complicated letter? Well, there are a number of reasons. First of all, We've never studied Romans, never, in a, in a concentrated way, kind of working our way through. And we're not going to pick up every detail, but we are going to kind of walk through. The, we've never done that before. Secondly, I really wanted to uh, because we haven't done it. And we've looked at a number of Paul's letters before. Well, why not look at, you know, the masterpiece now that we've examined some of the other artifacts that Paul did. But here's another reason. I, as I was reading through the New Testament a few times this summer, I kept thinking about our top ten. So I'm trying to find top ten verses. And interestingly, I found a top ten series right in the book of Romans. And in fact, I was thinking uh, this past week, this would be a great assignment for you all. We've got a little more than ten. We've got like ten or twelve weeks before we'll do Christmas stuff. It would be a great assignment if you all would memorize maybe the top 10, or parts of the top 10 from Romans. So I'm gonna kind of walk you through, we're gonna post these on the website, by the way, uh, but it, this would be a good assignment, right? To kind of take Romans, and I tried to tease out key verses that are review summary statements, but also launch the content, so you're able to wrap around everything we say around the top 10. So here we go, here are the top 10 from Romans. You may have your own top 10. When you do your Roman series, you can pick your top 10. All right, here's the first one. We're going to look at this a little later. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God that brings salvation, that rescues everyone who believes. There's the four, that's our series title. Jesus desires, Jesus is here to rescue everyone. This gospel is for everyone. First to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. That's a great verse, right? You can memorize that. Here's another one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you're going to learn that in Romans. Condemnation is for everyone. We're all in the same boat. Guilt for everyone. You see, we're all in the same situation. But the solution applies to all. For all have sinned to fall short of the glory of God. you need to remember that. And you're in that all category there. But, here's the big but. But God in the midst of everybody being separated from God, in the midst of everybody being guilty. But God stepped in and radically changed that situation by demonstrating his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that a great verse? Jesus doesn't say, clean up your act, turn over a new leaf, lose some weight, then you can follow me. He says, no, no, no. While you're in that state, Jesus came and died for us. Next one. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've earned something. Wages are something you earn. A gift is something that you receive freely. We've earned death and condemnation. We are given the gift of life. See that? That's a great. We'll we'll look at that in the next few weeks. 7.15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. You ever feel like that? Uh, Yeah, that's right out of Romans chapter 7. We're going to get there. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, they're the things I do. I mean, that's kind of our our biography, right? Next one. We get a number of these from chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. What do we all deserve? Because of our guilt and sin, we all deserve condemnation. But there is absolutely no condemnation. Every last drop of condemnation has been taken by Jesus. That's the gospel that Paul's writing about. Next one. I consider our present sufferings. And I don't say that lightly. I know some of you are going through some really, really difficult situations. But look what Paul says, and he went through some difficult stuff too. We'll talk about that. I consider our present sufferings, they're not even worth comparing. Put them on the two sides at a scale. They're not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's a good verse, right? You need to remember that. Next one. And most of you have heard this before. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. That doesn't say everything that happens is good, but it says God's working for the good through everything we encounter. We'll talk about that in the next few weeks, too. we got another one. Uh, Here's a long one. So if you hang in there through this memorization, by the time you get the nine, you're in a habit by then. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I kind of like that he gives the general statement, but then look, he gives a list, just a sample list, of the things that we conquer. Rather than be defeated by, we are victorious in. Check this out. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It may feel at times that God is far from you, yeah, memorize this, these couple of verses here. Keep them close. Um, those feelings may actually be demonstrating and convincing as proof of his presence rather than a sign of his, dark, of his absence. And here we go from uh, chapter 12. Again, a couple of familiar verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything he's been saying for 11 chapters now, which we're going to work through, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and and, uh, proper worship. You know, we all say, oh, we're going to worship Sunday morning. And we do come and worship, right? We kind of catch a glimpse of who God is accurately. We then respond appropriately. Paul tells us in Romans 12 how that really works. When you catch a glimpse of who God is, here's the appropriate response. You give your life to him. Now, how do you do that? Well, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able, able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Kind of the top ten from Romans, just kind of jump out as you read. Put them on cards, memorize them, put them in your phone. It'd be a good thing. Together, memorize the top ten from Romans, and you'll have ten little hangers that you can hang the things on as we go through the book. But well, that raises a, a question. then. So we got this top ten. We know we're going to study, work our way through Romans. But what are the reasons? um, Why did Paul write this letter? And why the heck is it so long? I mean, when did you ever write a letter 16 chapters long, right? Why, Why did he write this long letter? Well, the letter is actually a prelude to a visit. Paul writes this letter because he's coming to visit Rome. And he'd never been there before. Most of the people in the church in Rome were unknown to Paul. There were some people there that he knew. He kind of came across them in his missionary travels, but he didn't know most of them. So he sends the letter, in a sense, to say, hey, I'm coming. Well, that raises the question, why would Paul want to go to Rome? Well, Rome was kind of the center of the world back then. And if you were anybody, you had on your bucket list to visit Rome. Rome had glory, and Rome was kind of an open sewer both, right? Just like cities, right? The best of the best and the worst of the worst happened in cities. Well, why would Paul want to go to Rome? Um, well, the Vatican wasn't there yet. No Sistine Chapel, no St. Peter's. Did he go for the restaurants, for the wine, for the pizza? Why would he want to go to Rome? Well, it was actually none of those reasons. In fact, in the letter he gives us at least three reasons why he wants to go. So as we're trying to get wrap our hands around what's going on, let me share with you the three reasons that Paul writes in the letter as to why he wants to go. The first one is encouragement. Paul wants to go to encourage. Uh, here are the verses where he speaks to that, uh, verses 11 and 12. Here's, we, we read these. I long to see you. Hey, I'm coming. I've been wanting to say. I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be strong and that you and I may be mutually encouraged. Isn't that good? Notice Paul tells us a lot here about gifts and abilities and talents and things that we have. And here's what he says. You don't have those gifts. You don't have those resources. You don't have those talents. You don't have what you have for your own benefit. You have those things to cause others to grow. We're not end users. We're conduits. We're channels of those things. And so Paul says, I want to come and use the gifts that God's given me. Gifts of preaching. Gifts of putting theology together. Gifts of understanding how the gospel works. But I have those gifts in order to make you strong. But then Paul's not this you know, high and mighty person that doesn't need anything. He says, and I really want to come because I need you to impart stuff to me. I want to encourage you, and I need to be encouraged by you. I need to use my gifts to build you up, and you need to use your gifts to build me up. Boy, that's a great statement of community, isn't it? You know, I wonder how many times uh, we show up at Calvary Church or some other kind of assembly, whether you go to another ministry, women's ministry, men's, small group, wherever you go. I wonder how many times you show up and say, boy, now what am I going to get today? No, Paul didn't write that in Romans, right? He said, what am I going to give today? How can I impart something? How can I give to help others grow and be strong? And yeah, you know what? As I do that, I need to be encouraged and become stronger too. It's a reciprocal relationship. Paul knows that. And right up front he says, I want to be mutually encouraged. That's why I want to come. Second reason is edification, to build up. Yeah, here's how he says it. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters. I planned many times to come to you, but I've been prevented until now, in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I've had among other Gentiles. A harvest harvest is fruit, right? A harvest is something coming in. The kingdom is extended. The influence of the gospel is growing. Paul says, I want to continue what Jesus started and see the results of that in Rome. Mutual encouragement and the expansion of the influence of the gospel. I love the next verse that we don't have have up here. And Paul says, I am under obligation to come. Actually, the word is indebted. I'm indebted to you guys in Rome. How in the world can Paul be indebted to them? He'd never met most of them. He'd never been to Rome before. Well, there, there are two different ways to be indebted to somebody. Uh, I'll mention them to you. If you lend me $100, I am indebted to you. I am obligated to pay you back. Now, if you forgive that 100 that's good, right? So if you lend me 100 forgive it, all right? Uh, but that's the first way. You lend me, a, you lend me some money. I am indebted, I'm obligated, until I pay it back. That's one way. Paul is not indebted to the Romans like that. They didn't give him anything. Oh, but here's another way to be indebted. Suppose you give me 100 hours and say, hey, would you pass that along to Jeff? Now, I am indebted to Jeff until I give him the 100 bucks, right, he didn't give me anything, but someone gave me something to deliver, and I'm under obligation or indebted until I deliver it. That's the sense Paul means. Oh, yeah. And that's the same way we're indebted and we're obligated. God didn't, didn't call us to be end users. God called us to be messengers. God said, I've given you this incredible gift. I've given you this forgiveness and grace and rescue from all that you've done wrong. Uh, And now you have the responsibility to pass that along. You need to deliver that to others. Therefore, we are under obligation and we're indebted to deliver it. So Paul says, I'm obligated and indebted until I deliver what God gave to me to give to them. And we're under that same obligation. Yeah, but then there's a, a third reason. And this one isn't in chapter 1. You have to read the end of the book to get there. But let me tell you what it is. Paul writes this letter for support. He says, so show me the money. Right? He really does. Here's how he says it at the end of the book. I have been longing for many years to visit you. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. So Paul says, okay, I'm on my way. to. I'm, on, I'm going to Spain soon. And I'm going to stop off. In Rome, before I go to Spain, I hope to see you while passing through, and here we go, and to have you assist me on my journey there, after I've enjoyed your company for a while. You see here, uh, here's what Paul's saying. Spain is a really, really far away from the other side of the Mediterranean, like Jerusalem and such. I think we have a map here somewhere. Um, So Spain is really far away. So there you see, uh, all the way over here, you have Jerusalem. And all the way over there, you have Spain. Well, it's a long way, right? Anybody who understands logistics or supply chain, understand if you can shorten the distance uh, between those that need the supplies and the actual supplies, you increase the ability to make it happen. So here's the context. Uh, Follow along on the map, right? Maps are important in the back of your book, Bible, by the way. You see uh, Corinth kind of in the middle there where it says A. See the little A deal? That's where Paul's writing the letter from. Paul's on his third missionary journey. And part of the main reason for the third missionary journey was Paul was collecting money. Not for himself. He was collecting money for all of the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem that were experiencing poverty because they were losing their jobs. They were losing their family, losing a lot of things because they're following Jesus. And all of a sudden the system's kind of cracking down, right? And so Paul goes on a third missionary journey, primarily as kind of a fundraising expedition. And think about that. He's raising money among the Gentiles to support the Jewish Christians. So Paul says, hey, here's how, here's how this is working. I'm in Corinth shooting off this letter to you in Rome, right? So the letter goes to Rome. Paul says, but I can't come directly to Rome. I've got to first deliver the money to the, Jew- to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. So first I'm going to Jerusalem. And then I'm going to Spain. But the supply chain's too long. I need a new base of operations as I go west. And I want you guys to be my new base of operations. I've heard that there are lots of resources in Rome. I heard there are spiritual gifts and talent and there's money and there's time and energy. And so I want you guys to be my new base of operations. So Paul, I mean, think about it. God could have designed ministry to be done in ways that don't don't require money, but that's not what he did. So this whole letter is in some ways kind of about money. Paul's on a missionary journey raising money to deliver it to the Jewish Christians And he writes to Rome saying, hey, I'm on my way to Spain. I'm going to stop off in Rome. And I want you guys to assist me. Come alongside me and support me so that I can go to Spain. And as you support me, it's not just me going to Spain. You get to go with me because you're supporting me in my missionary work. That's pretty cool, right? So when we talk about fundraising and doing things locally, regionally, globally, we're just following that biblical pattern that we see right here. All right, so those are kind of the main reasons Paul wrote. But then we've got a regarding. So what is this letter about? Well, I sure hope you didn't miss it as I read those first 17 verses. I mean, the word gospel shows up like all the time. Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, called to be apostle and set apart for the gospel. The gospel, he promised. Gospel, gospel. Then in 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Gospel just means good news. So this whole letter is about the good news. And one of the things that we have to continually remind ourselves is that if you're, if you're not a follower of Christ right now, if you're kind of a beginner follower of Jesus, or if you've been following Jesus for decades and decades, we all need the gospel. We need to be reminded of it. We need to live out of it because we're always kind of losing it as our center And we adopt other things to become the center. We never grow away from the gospel. We grow more deeply into the gospel. And so this book is going to help us sink our roots more deeply into the thing that really does bring transformation. It's not just good news, great news for those that don't yet know Jesus. It's good news for those that have known Jesus forever. The gospel is what makes the difference. But here's what you have to remember. First and foremost, first and foremost, The gospel is not about you, and it's not about me, and it's not about us. I'm not sure if you've noticed that. Been in a whole lot of literature, in Christian literature, and lots of Sunday school lessons, and lots of Bible studies, and lots of sermons. Somehow what's second is moved to what's first. First and foremost, the gospel is not about you. and It's not about me, and it's not about us. First and foremost, the gospel is about Jesus. In fact, Paul tells us right in those opening verses, here's what he says. The gospel is rooted in the Old Testament. He's son of David, son of God. It's rooted in the Old Testament. It's centered in Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus. It's not the good news about you. It's the good news about Jesus. But it's for everyone. See how that works? First and foremost, it's about Jesus. So here's how it works. When a throne was empty or when a throne was occupied and then there was a war or then there was a change in power and a new king ascended to the throne, heralds, messengers were sent throughout the empire with the message, with the gospel, with the good news. We have a king. That's what Paul's doing. Paul's saying, the good news is, we have a king. The good news is, King Jesus rules. I know Caesar's still sitting on the throne. And interestingly, he's sitting on the throne in Rome. And that's where you all live. But make no mistake, we have a new king. Okay. That's first and foremost what the gospel is and what the gospel's about. Now, second, the gospel is about us. Not primarily, but secondarily. It kind of works like this. I read an article this past week, a really good article, said, you know, thousands and thousands of books have been written on leadership, and all these articles have been written about leadership. The lessons of leadership are ancient. Here are only two things you ever need to know about leadership: leadership lesson number one: it's not about you. Lesson number two, it is about you. It's not about you but it's about what you do to support and encourage and come alongside your team as you serve them. It is about you as you energize and teach them how to support and encourage and serve those that they're leading. It's not about you, but it is about you. So why is this such good news? Well, let me, uh, let me ask you like this. Have you ever done anything like really stupid? I mean, if you go online, you can find some great stupid pictures. Here, we have a few. Here are some stupid pictures. (laughs) Yeah, now, I'm not sure if that's how you paint your uh, part over the stairwell. That's not a good idea. Here's another one. Yeah, he's working on electric while his feet are in the puddle. (laughs) I'm not an electrician. I'm just thinking, not a good idea. Next one. Now, this guy's making sure the mattress does not fall off the pickup truck as they're going to cross the bridge at about 45 miles an hour. But he's tied in. So that, that's okay. Next one. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. right? I, I mean, I'm just thinking. How, I don't know how he's getting out either, but I don't know how that happened. I think we have one more. Now, I have a number of clever things that I could say right now, but uh, I better move on because uh, I don't want any nasty emails. (laughs) Well, we've all done some stupid things, and there are consequences that come from those stupid things. But that's not primarily what Paul's talking about. Yeah, we've done stupid things that have consequences, but we've also done some things on purpose that shouldn't have been done. We've smeared people and told lies, and we knew we were doing it the whole time. We know what the Scripture says about following God, and we decide to follow ourselves or follow something else. We do that all the time. The good news of the gospel is, in spite of your stupidity, in spite of your sinfulness, in spite of your rebellion... In spite of the debt that you owe, in spite that the guilt of the in spite of the guilt that you is yours, in spite of the condemnation that rightfully comes because of what you've done, you can find forgiveness, acceptance, and grace because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Amen. That is the gospel. First and foremost. It's the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thankfully, that good news is for everyone. That's what we're going to learn in Romans. That's what we learn in these first 17 verses. And now Paul is going to begin in verse 18, and he's going to make it real plain. Now for like two chapters... The hammer falls over and over and over again when he says, and this group is guilty, and if you've done this, you're guilty, and if, you've done it, and if you're guilty, you deserve condemnation. You're under the wrath of God, the anger of God, and at the end of all that, you say, oh, I surrender on. But it's, yeah, but, but God, the good news is that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. That's the message. So what's the mission? What's our mission? Well, as you read through those first few verses of Romans, here's what you discover. The gospel transformed Paul's identity. How does he describe himself in those first couple of verses? Here's what he says. I am a servant of Jesus Christ and I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. What? He's a servant because King Jesus has assumed the throne. He's an apostle, a Herod, somebody who's sent to tell that good news because that's what he's been commissioned to do. On the basis of all that, here's what he says in verses 16 and 17. And lots of commentators, by the way, say here is the theme. This is the theme of this whole book. So if you want to know the theme of Romans, you memorize this verse. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. To bring rest, to rescue everybody who believes. I'm not sure why you may at times feel ashamed of the gospel, but I do know this Paul would not have written, I am not ashamed of the gospel if he never felt ashamed of the gospel. Like, you don't talk like that unless at times you, you feel the pressure or the temptation to kind of be ashamed, right? Suppose, I'm not ashamed, even though there's a temptation. And I know, look, we all live and work and, you know, have homes in different places, and there's a tendency at times to be ashamed, right? So I thought I'd kind of end this morning with a few reasons that sometimes we're ashamed. or some ways, the gospel is offensive. We're ashamed because people are going to be offended when they hear this. Well, why are they offended that causes us to be ashamed? Here's one. Because the gospel means you're wrong. Uh, I kept thinking of this uh, really cool verse in the book of Proverbs. I think Proverbs 14, it says, There is a way that seems right. It appears right. But that way leads to death. Notice? It really does appear right. You know what the gospel says? I know you're really smart, and I know you have a high IQ, and you put life together like this, but here's the gospel. You're wrong. wrong. That's what the gospel says. How you put it together, you're wrong. You've made a whole bunch of decisions that you think prove you're smart. You're wrong. You're wrong. You think that God's not going to do this? You're wrong. You think that you're not that bad? You're wrong. That's pretty offensive, right? I don't know about you, when you tell people they're wrong, they don't, oh boy, thank you so much for pointing that out. Uh, They usually start looking at stuff that you're doing and they tell you, here's the first part that the gospel is offensive, you're wrong. I know you put life together like this, I know you do that, just trying to tell you because I love you, you're wrong. You're wrong, you're not real bright. I know there's a way that appears right, you're wrong. That's offensive. You may be ashamed, you don't like being told you're wrong. We don't like to tell other people they're wrong, but that's what it is, you're wrong. And here's the second one. If you're telling somebody that they need to be rescued that means they can't help themselves that's pretty offensive right i mean we live in a world of self-help right i mean i mean just write a self-help book and if it's readable and people care i mean you can make lots and lots of money I always find it interesting. We always need new self-help books. Like if one of them worked, you think we'd kind of end the self-help train, right? Obviously, they don't work because you have the new edition coming out. And the expanded version, right? Which means the other one's different. Well, self-help doesn't help. That's the second. Self-help doesn't help. You need to be rescued. In fact, you're so messed up. You can't turn over a new leaf. You can't try harder. You're so messed up. God had to die for you. That's how bad you are. People get offended at that, right? Well, look, not just are you wrong. You're so screwed up. God had to come to earth and die for you because another sacrifice wouldn't work. That's how bad you are. Oh, thank you so much for telling me that, right? And here's another reason it's offensive and we tend to be ashamed. How did Jesus the king win the victory? He won the victory, and he shares that with all who believe. Right? You get that picture? How did he win? Did he ride in on a white horse with a giant sword and defeat all the enemies? Did he come with weapons from the future? He suffered and died. And if you want to follow Jesus, that's how we continue what he started. We bear other people's burdens. And through our suffering and sharing their suffering and coming alongside of them, the victory can be won. And people say, say what? And I should sign up for this? Like, I want to sign up for suffering one oh one, which grows into suffering two oh one. What what? It's a pretty offensive message, right? You're wrong. Self help doesn't help, and the way to victory is down. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that message because that is the only way that the power of God will ever rescue someone. That's how the good news was lived. And in following that new king is the only way that you and I get all that he gives as a gift. So if you want to sign up for that, there is no other power... There is rescue in no other place. You buy into that, and we can say with Paul, we're not ashamed of the gospel. People may laugh. They may get ticked off. They may ridicule. We're not ashamed of that, because there is the power of salvation in no one else and nowhere else. First and foremost, the great news is there's a king. And secondly, that king is for us. Let's stand and pray. Father, we give you thanks uh, for the words that we read and for the context in which they were written as little as we understand of that. And Lord, even speaking the words, uh, I realize how far short of that I fall. And hopefully that's kind of our Common sense. Well, Lord, would you uh, use these next couple of months and use this powerful letter, not necessarily to teach us something new, but to remind us of something old, that the power of salvation, the power of forgiveness and acceptance with you is only in Jesus. There is a king, only one, and that king did all that he did for us. Help us not just to know that, but to live that. We pray in his name. Amen.